0: Um, we've been thinking and praying and working towards this for a while. Um, a, a lot of conversations with a lot of different people on on how to do this well and so uh, that's my my hope and prayer and so we're going to kind of give a little bit more uh, handles on what that means so the the fact that you're here uh, wondering how to love this community um, is so important and such a beautiful thing and so the reason. This event is really specifically titled um, "Loving My LGBTQ Plus Neighbor," uh, because these are relationships that many of us have already—coworkers, friends, family members—and <clears throat> it's really important to understand that what we're talking about tonight is God's view of our sexuality. Not God's view of their sexuality, right? This isn't an us and them thing. That's one of the things we were thinking through with the title is and we want to convey it's, it's not an uh, uh, an us and them. It's an us. This is our neighbor. This is our community that we're called to love, right? And so... I came in, in contact. We're going to be having uh, a speaker, Robbie Lashua, with us. He's a pastor of apologetics. He's going to be sharing um, a lot more of the nitty gritty into studying God's word and what it has to say on this important issue. And so, a funny story: I had a family approach me saying that they were struggling with this idea, and and does Scripture really forbid uh, same sex? Marriages and relationships, does Scripture really forbid that? Because they said, if, if my kid came to me and said that they were struggling with this thing, that, that they, they wouldn't know what to say. And I thought that was a really honest and really beautiful thing to say, and I was really thankful for it. So that's what initially sparked this funny thing less than two weeks later I'm helping a friend move, and he had another friend there that I I hadn't known. We started talking and and chatting a little bit, and he was telling me about this guy, Robbie, who's a pastor of apologetics. Um, He's spoken a lot on this issue. And I was like, oh, so God's exposing this need in the church, and then God's providing this like way to address that need. And I thought, man, what a really cool thing. And so it's really felt like my job in this has been to be faithful with what God's doing. It's been, it's been a really cool thing. But as we explored this deeper and tried to figure out how we might approach a night like this, we figured out that there were, there were two main parts, and so that's how tonight's going to be structured. The first part is we're going to be trying to take a look and study at what the Bible actually says on this issue. And we want to also be able to answer a few common arguments Against that view. And really, we want to be able to coach our own hearts and minds on this issue, and then to be able to defend what scripture actually says. So, this kind of conversation on this first part is going to be mostly helpful for Christians. This is going to be mostly helpful for you as you hear different opinions in the news, media, friends, anywhere, for you to be able to have an answer for your own heart and your own mind. That's that's what we want. And so a quick warning here, we are going to be making truth statements because the Bible does speak clearly on this. I know in our culture, that's going to be hard sometimes to hear, um, but we're we're going to go there because the Bible goes there. And let me say specifically, we want this community in our church. We should want this community in our church. So if you're here and your intention is to build up this biblical ammunition to use against this community, you're in the wrong place. That's not what we're here to do. That's not what any of us want to do. I don't think there is a place for that. But it is possible, and I've seen this happen, many of us have seen this happen, for a same-sex attracted person to live faithfully following Jesus in the church community. And it's a beautiful thing when you see it. But we should want this community in our church. And so the second part of tonight is going to be focused mostly on Q&A. So again, one of the reasons we wanted Robbie up here was to be able to ask him anything. And so there's a number up on the screen and has been all of tonight and still will be for you to text in questions. I'm gonna get those on this and I'm gonna field them as best I can and try to make sure we get to as many as we can. But we wanted to try to give the majority of the night over to Q&A because I know many of you have specific questions that you came here with. So be thinking of those now Even sending those in now at any point, send them in, and we'll be feeling those, and we want to make sure we can give enough time for that. Um, Okay, I think that's all I wanted to say on that. So we've got a lot we're hoping to do. We're going to jump right in, okay? And realize, though, we can't hope to cover everything on an issue like this with one night. So on the tables to the sides as you came in, you saw, if you didn't see, you can feel free to grab them. There are two handouts basically to grab. One is a stapled page. Those are the notes that Robbie's going to be working through on this first half. That'll help you be able to follow along, scribble, make notes. There's pens all over the chairs and in the back if you want some of those too, um, to scribble and make notes. The other handout is links and uh, handout and books for further study. So if you're a reader, there are many, many great great books on this subject. And so we encourage you to pick those up. We even have some available in the back, some copies of some of these books. If you want to take one, please do. I don't want to keep those copies. Don't make me keep all of them. Um, So please take those copies. And if you wanted one and it's not there, you've got that list for further study. There's links there. There's all kinds of good stuff um, to keep you busy on this. So let me invite Robbie up here. Let's welcome him up. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. And so I think the question uh, on many of our minds is, you look so young. How can you be a pastor of apologetics <laughs> yeah. and be so young? I'm, I'm not young. You're not uh, young, okay. I'm
1: thir- almost 36, and that to me sounds so yeah. old. Yeah, he's not young, guys. I he's know, right? just Immediately half of you were like,
0: you are old, How and then the other you? half of you are like, this yeah. guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's so tell us about your training. How did you become a pastor of apologetics?
1: Yeah, well, when I was, I was doing my undergrad in biblical studies and uh, youth ministry, and I um, just really had a heart for truth Knowing the truth and uh, being able to express the truth to a world that needs truth. Truth sets us free. And so I got into apologetics, just kind of studying it on my own. And then um, I went to seminary at, at Phoenix Seminary. And this church actually used to be like right across from the seminary that I was at, like down on Thomas. Um, and so I went there. I got an MDiv and studied theology and Bible and preaching. Um, and then after that, I still wanted to do more in apologetics. So I went to Biola and got a master's in apologetics over there. Okay. Um, and yeah, I've been doing this with youth. I've been doing this with adults at our church now for years and um, trying to train people to know why they believe what they believe so that they can be good witnesses out in
0: the world. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you married? Got any kids? Yeah. I'm married.
1: Uh, I've been married for 11 years. We have four kids now. Uh, We just had our fourth. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter named Greta. I have a uh, five-year-old. He just turned five last week. Five-year-old son, Cohen, our second daughter, Elsie, she's two. And then uh, our newest one, Jesse, Uh, he's uh, almost three months. Yeah,
0: Wow. it's a busy, yeah, it's busy. And tell us about your church and and what you do there. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear out on the west side. Um, So I do apologetics, I teach apologetics classes, I'm in charge of all the adult education. I have a podcast where weekly we're doing apologetics stuff, Um, do apologetics uh, mission trips, like we trained in Mormonism, then we went to Salt Lake City and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, plus, you know, regular stuff you have to do helping out at a church. Yeah,
0: cool. All right, well, thanks, man. I'm glad you're here.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm going to let him
0: kind of take over. Let me pray over our night, pray over Robbie, and then we'll get started. Sound good? God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to um, come together and study your word. God, to learn together uh, what your word says on um, how we should use our sexuality, how we should view it. So, God, we pray that you would bless this time that we have together. God, help us to um, learn and grow. God, help us to grow deeper into faith in you, Jesus, as we know your whole word points to that. And God, please speak through Robbie. Be with him as he shares. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tyler.
1: I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. Um, The first thing I wanted to say is this. Uh, We have seen and you know that throughout history, the Bible has been used to suppress different people groups. People like to get the Bible on their side to suppress people. We saw this happen with American slavery, right? Pastors during the time were preaching uh, that Ephesians 6.5 was teaching that American slavery was fine and it was okay to own slaves because Paul talks about how you're supposed to treat slaves and things like that. Uh, In February, I went to Rwanda and I was talking with people who were survivors of the genocide there, uh, which was 25 years ago now. And they were saying how pastors in their country were preaching out of 1 Samuel 15 about how genocides are okay and that it's needed and that it's all right to do these types of things. People have been using the Bible for millennia to twist it to suppress people. And something's happening in our day uh, that's very similar. There are many Christians that are twisting Scripture to suppress and ultimately harm a group of people. Instead of allowing people to be who they truly are, Many Christians twist scripture to promote a lie that suppresses people and harms people. God loves homosexual people. God loves Muslim people. God loves Christian people. God loves atheists. God loves people. And today I want us to look at what it means to love our LGBTQ plus neighbors. But we can't twist scripture to fit cultural norms, that's what was happening with slavery. That's what was happening in Rwanda. And, and we need to do better than that. We need to come to the text and say, okay, what does this book actually say? And am I willing, even if it goes counter to my culture, to live by it? Amen? So what does the book say? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the theology and what the Bible says about homosexuality. And then we're going to look at science and see what it says about homosexuality so that's kind of a two-step approach after that we're going to look at a few common objections and how we can respond in a loving way to people uh, so that's where we are going to go before we get into that i do want to make a distinction just so we're all on the same page because so many people have different definitions with different words uh, there is a difference between same-sex attraction and homosexuality same-sex attraction is a desire people have that they're attracted to the same sex right homosexuality is a behavior and they're not the same exact thing you can have same-sex attraction and not engage in a behavior you guys have desires all the time that you don't engage in thank the lord i'm glad you stop at red lights to be honest that's a good thing right thank you i don't think that's a huge desire that any of us have i want to stop at a red light but we do right because we don't have to follow our desires, but Having same-sex attraction and homosexuality, they're not the same exact thing, okay? So I want to make that distinction. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about the behavior of homosexuality, okay? A lot of people have been twisting scripture that suppresses and ultimately harms people. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but there's this group called the Reformation Project, started by a man named Matthew Vines. And their whole thing is they're going around the country and they're having meetings and conferences re-educating the, the evangelical church that homosexuality, the behavior, is okay and allowed and biblically there's nothing wrong with it. And that, that's, that's their whole ministry. Um, Matthew Vines, I think he was like 22 when he decided that he knew what scripture said as opposed to the 2,000 years <laughs> of people studying it. Um, And and so that's what they're doing. And so I want to look at some of their arguments and look at what scripture teaches so that we can set aside our cultural biases and we can say, I want to follow the Lord in what he has taught. All right. One of the common arguments you're going to hear a lot is Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Have you guys heard this before? The, The assumption behind that is that it's okay to practice homosexuality since Jesus didn't say anything about it, right? That's kind of where the argument's going. Here's, here's the thing. Jesus never said anything about heroin. Did you know that? Have you read the New Testament? He doesn't. He Not once does the dude mention heroin. This must be okay, right? Does anybody want to sign up for that logic? No, you don't, right? Jesus never said anything about spousal abuse. Did you know that? So does that mean he condones it? You can, you can mix Jesus and Muhammad and it's okay. No. Now, when people say Jesus never said, they're talking specifically about the red letters. As Orthodox Christians, we believe he said this whole thing, right? So you can say, well, he didn't, he didn't. So let's look at it. But I think when Jesus was on earth, he actually did speak to this issue. He did. And it was in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. I think this is a fascinating, fascinating passage for us to look at. Because what was going on was the redefinition of marriage in Jesus' time. The Pharisees came to him and they said, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Do you remember this? What was happening at the time was there was this argument going on between theological groups. The one group were the traditionalists and they were saying, you can't just divorce your wife for whatever reason. Moses said in the law, in indecency... Then there were the progressives, and they were saying, well, an indecency, I mean, that could be anything, right? That could be she burns your dinner. I'm not kidding. This is what they argued because they wrote it down, and we have it. She burns your dinner. You can divorce her. The traditionalists were going, no, indecency means she commits adultery on you. Like, no, it's not the same thing. So they come to Jesus saying, whose side are you on? Redefinition of marriage, divorce, commitment. And Jesus says these words, and, and you, you know these words, right? Right? Jesus answered them and he said have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they're no longer two but one flesh what therefore God has joined together let no man separate it when Jesus was was confronted with the redefinition of marriage in his own culture he bypassed the law did you see that? They're arguing over what the law of Moses said. He says, we're going further back than that. It's not about what the law says. It's about how God created things to be. And if you go all the way back, the way it was created was for one man, one woman, for one lifetime. Right? And so he's arguing no divorce. But within this, I think we can see Jesus' opinion of a sexual relationship. When you look at the one flesh aspect of this, it is to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Since this is God's design for marriage, and sex uh, uh, is designed to to operate within a marriage, it shouldn't be surprising to us that there are six sexual activities that are prohibited in the Bible— and what all of them have in common is that they are not sex between a man and a woman in a marriage. Okay? That's the one place that this is supposed to happen. The Bible prohibits uh, these sexual sins. Adultery. What's adultery? Sex outside of marriage once you're married, right? You have to be married to be an adulterer because you're cheating on your wife or your husband. Does it make sense? So, adultery is sex with someone who's not your spouse after you're married. This is the best word. Fornication. This is such a great word. We don't ever use it. (laughs) What's fornication? Sex Sex with somebody who's not your spouse before you're married, which means everybody. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Okay. So, adultery, fornication, rape, forcing sex on someone who's not your spouse. Incest, sex with somebody who cannot be your spouse. Bestiality, sex with a species that cannot be your spouse. And homosexuality, sex with someone of the same sex that cannot be your spouse. This is the theme throughout Scripture. These are the things prohibited. Now, we see this theme carry on and, and, and all throughout the Old Testament. One of the most famous passages about this is Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. Uh, we're not going to talk about this a ton, But what was happening was the angels were sent there to destroy the place because of of immorality that was going on, right? And then you know what happened when, when they got there. They go and they meet Lot and what do they tell him? They say this, we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it, right? So, What happened to them wasn't the reason they destroyed it. They were sent there previously to destroy it. Do you see that? And then we know what happens. The men of the city rush the house and they say, hey, let us have sex with these guys that just came into town, which kind of lets us in on the depravity of of the city and how bad things really were. And Lot says, no, don't do that to guests. That's horrible. Here's my daughters. You can have them, which you think, why would you do that? Um, But that's how bad things were. And then the next day, fire and brimstone destroys the place. Well, there is a redefinition of this going on, and, and people are saying the reason it was destroyed wasn't because of homosexuality. The reason it was destroyed was because of inhospitality. <laughs> well, now you, now some of you left, but, but here's the deal. Uh, there is a verse about this. I want you to, if you have your Bible or you have your app, uh, turn to Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 49. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine, says this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Okay? This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. There it is. In hospitality. The Reformation Project uses this to say, do you see... The reason that it was destroyed clearly in Ezekiel stated that it was inhospitality, and that's it. Well, let's look at some other scripture that talks about this. Uh, Jesus' half-brother, Jude, wrote a book of the Bible, and he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what Jesus' brother said. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Inhospitality wasn't the reason Jude thought they were punished. You see that? And if this is Jesus' brother's opinion, you could probably bet it was his, his, his brother's opinion as well. Right? What about one of Jesus' best friends, Peter? In 2 Peter 7-8, through Peter says this, And if he rescued righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. We put Jude and we put Peter together, and you go, it seems like there was some sexual immorality going on there. You can't just, you can't just wash these verses away, even though Ezekiel states that... Inhospitality was the cause. Do you see that? We have to take the whole counsel of God into account here. And now one thing that that this is very important to me is you should never read a Bible verse. Have you heard that before? Reading a Bible verse is the stupidest thing you could do. You need to read more than a Bible verse. You need to read a few Bible verses to get the context of what's going on. Are, Are any of you still open to that Ezekiel passage? I'm gonna read the very next verse, okay? So here's Ezekiel 16, 49, and 50. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. That's where the Reformation Project stops. Let's read the next verse. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw them. Abomination is the word used for sexual immorality and for homosexuality. But they don't want you to read that verse. So we need to do a good job of studying what scripture says so we have Sodom and Gomorrah and the New Testament interpretation of what was going on there let's skip ahead to the law Leviticus 18 20 through 24 this is what it says if you have your bibles you can turn there you can just listen to me read it it says you shall not have intercourse with your neighbor's wife to be defiled with her what's that called Adultery, if you're married, it's adultery, right? It's definitely adultery for, for the, the, the lady, but it could be fornication. But either way, that's outlawed, right? Okay, so you can't do that. Verse 21, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of, of your God. I am the Lord. Um, Moloch was a uh, god in, in Canaanite and Amorite, um, Cantheon, and basically what they would do is they would make this big metal statue, statue that had the, the torso of a man with outstretched arms and the head of a bull, and they would sacrifice their children to Molech. Uh, they'd get infants, and they'd heat this metal um, Uh, thing up and they put the babies on the arms and they'd roll down into the fire and they'd beat drums and they would sacrifice children God says do not do that right don't sacrifice your children to Molech so no adultery and fornication no child sacrifice verse 22 you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is an abomination there it is it is an abomination that's homosexuality Verse 23, also you shall not have intercourse with an animal to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion, bestiality. Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these things the nation which I'm casting out before you have become defiled. Now, how many of you have heard this argument? Some people will say, you don't believe the Old Testament. You say, yes, I do, I believe it say you don't follow it have you ever eaten shellfish and all of you mostly unless you have an allergy you would say yes I have you have bacon every chance you get you ever played football touched a pigskin right have you heard these have you heard people say this so they, they say that to you and they say see you don't even follow the the bible you don't even follow it so who are you to say that homosexuality is incorrect when you're wearing mixed threads of clothes and not following Old Testament law, right? And this is important for us to understand is what in the Old Testament carries over into New Testament times. Like we really got to get a handle on this, right? Because you do eat lobster and, and you also don't murder people. So that's good, right? <laughs> so we have to ask the question when it comes to homosexuality, is it a dietary law type thing? Or is it a moral, for all people, in all times type thing, like murder? Does that make sense? Because there are things in the Old Testament we all still follow. Amen? Yes. Okay. How do we know which is which? That's the big question. And I like to explain it like this. When I was a kid, uh, I had some friends who lived in Alaska. And they could get their driver's license when they were like 14. It was a rip-off because I lived here and I had to get, wait till I was 16. Right? What makes them better than me? Nothing, I told them. Nothing. They even get paid. You know you get paid to live in Alaska. Did you know that? You might want to move up there. They pay you a few thousand dollars a year to live there. I thought this is the biggest scam going. Arizona is ripping us all off in multiple <laughs> fronts, right? What's correct? Getting your driver's license when you're 14 or your driver's license when you're 16? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? What? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a moral thing, right? It's a depends on where you are thing. Depends on which state you're under, correct? In the New Testament, we're under a certain state of things from God. The Israelites in the Old Testament were under a different state of things. They were under a a theocracy, right? We're living in New Testament times. I mean, there's all the stuff in the New Testament about dietary laws are abolished, Right? Uh, uh, there is no temple. There is no way we can do some of these these things that the Old Testament did. So how do we know which one homosexuality is? Is it a state-type thing or is it a murder-type thing? Because murder in Alaska and in Arizona are both wrong. And in China and in medieval England and in first-century Israel, it's wrong for all people in all places for all times. Do you see the difference? So how can we differentiate between which is a state law That doesn't apply to everybody. And witches are things that are God's moral law that apply to all people for all time, right? One of the ways we can see that is when we look at this in Leviticus, what is this listed around? Notice the group that this is mentioned in. Homosexuality is grouped in with adultery, child sacrifice, and bestiality. It isn't isn't grouped in with dietary laws about shellfish and clothing laws or washing rituals. Did you see that? And most of my LGBTQ friends would say, yeah, child sacrifice is horrible, bestiality is horrible, and adultery is horrible. But, but homosexuality is not? How can you pick that out of, do you see the problem you have exegetically? This is very difficult to do. The, and, and what I'm arguing here for is Christians who are twisting scripture to say it's okay, right? My non-Christian friends don't care what the Bible says, so that doesn't, that's a different thing. But we really need to know what scripture says because this is infiltrating the church and it's hurting people. That's my big thing. It harms people. This lifestyle is, is damaging to people, and we're going to talk about that later. But that argument that, oh, Old Testament law stuff's all past well, it's not all past, and, and nobody really believes that, because we all think murder is still wrong, right? And stealing is still wrong, and things like that. But the best passage to use obviously comes from the New Testament, right? What Paul says in Romans 1, 20 through 28 um, is the best. Why? Well, because it's New Testament, so you don't have to explain the whole Old Testament, New Testament thing, right? Paul still says it is, it is wrong in the New Testament. Um, so we're going to pick it up in uh, Romans 1. Uh, we'll, we'll start in verse 25. <clears throat> it says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and this is all humanity Paul's talking about, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. <clears throat> the argument here is, this is talking about uh, temple prostitution that was prevalent in first century in Rome. This is talking about Nero's sexual uh, exploits, having, having little kids that, that were there for your sexual pleasure. And that's what this is discussing. It's not talking about a loving, monogamous, homosexual relationship. That's, that's the argument coming, right? But, but this is the problem with that. Paul doesn't say that women and men abandoned their natural desires. Did you see the word there? It's not their natural desires. He says they abandoned the natural function. And the, the Greek word for that is kresis. This is the only time it's used in the Bible, these two places. It's the only time in the New Testament we have it. But in other Greek literature, this word means a use, natural function, especially in regards to sexuality. The way things fit together how puzzle pieces work it's not about desire or love or anything like that it's about function it's like a plumbing term and he's saying people are denying not their desires or feelings but how things work how things function so when people bring this to me and say no you see it's about their desires so if you're a heterosexual desire but you're having homosexual sex that's what paul's talking about and if you're a homosexual desire having heterosexual sex you're doing the very thing that he's saying don't do don't deny your desire say that's not what he's saying because he uses the word function you see we got to know what this says because people twist scripture and ultimately when we don't live out the way God wants us to it's harmful to us as human beings it's harmful to us Paul characterizes same-sex behavior in this way we just read it but I want to list it out He says it's a lust of the heart, an impurity that's dishonoring to the body, an indecent act and an error, unnatural, not proper, proper, and the product of a depraved mind. Paul's not for this activity. Paul's for all people, right? He goes on to explain (laughs) we all fall short, right? We all fall short, and it's about Jesus, and that's where justification comes from. But he's explaining the human condition, and in in that, this is the only place actually in the whole Bible where lesbianism is condemned. Did you know that? And that's New Testament. It's not old. It's New Testament. Paul says there is a design to the way things work, but people want to worship themselves or the created things, and so they, they turn from God, and it destroys them. Nowhere in Scripture... Old Testament or New Testament is homosexuality condoned or even hinted at being permissible. Nowhere. It is unanimous all the way through. The Bible clearly states that the act, the behavior of homosexuality is a sin. It goes against the created order of God. And, and it goes against how God had made Adam and Eve in the beginning. That's the theology behind it. Now, there's other scriptures, and we'll probably get questions about them and look at them at other places, but if if I'm talking with somebody who thinks the Bible has authority over their life and they're saying, hey, homosexuality is not a big deal, Romans 1 is very difficult to get around, very difficult because of what Paul says. Now, we're not saying people that have uh, practiced homosexuality can't be saved. Of course they can be saved because Jesus covers all of our sin, Right? Uh, and no matter what your problems were, Jesus covered you. So we're not saying that. We're not saying homosexuality is the worst thing anybody could do, right? Sin uh, makes us all equally guilty before God. And this is the way I like to put it. This is important because I have heard people say, oh, sin is sin to God, and so it doesn't really matter. That's true to make us guilty, right? A white lie, homosexuality, same thing to make you guilty before God. Because Jesus' brother James said, if you transgress one point of the law, you're guilty of the whole thing. Right? Guilty, yes. But all sins aren't equally bad. They're all equally wrong, but they're not all equally bad. And you know this. You think murder is way worse than jaywalking. Right? All of you think that. Why? Well, because... you're you're hurting somebody, right? You're ruining people's lives. Our government, every government around the world thinks that because there's more severe punishment to deter people from certain things than there are for other things. You do this one, you get a $20 fine. You do this one, you get locked up for the rest of your life. They're different, right? We all acknowledge that. Equally wrong to make us guilty before God, but they're not all equally bad because certain actions that we do have bigger consequences than others. And jaywalking doesn't pollute and hurt and affect a lot of people as much as murdering their dad or their mom does. Do you see the difference? When it comes to homosexuality, it is equally wrong to make us guilty before God. But the consequences that come through this behavior are devastating and hard on people. They kill people faster. And I, I wanna be like my dad who created me. I wanna be for life. I wanna be for eternal life and I wanna be for an abundant life, right? That's what Jesus did. He came to give us life and life to the full, life abundant. And when people twist scripture to say it's okay to do this behavior that ultimately kills you fast, I'm against it. And it's not because I'm a bigot and it's not because I hate people. It comes from I love them and I don't want harm to come on them. Do you see, does this make sense? And I think the church has done a poor job at saying it's wrong and just condemning and not sharing, we care about you as human beings. I care, about, I care about murderers. I care about, right, Jesus died for all people. And if that's true, we need to act like it. But sin destroys, sin brings devastating consequences with it. So I want to move into talking about the science behind homosexuality, all right? So, for people who believe the Bible's authoritative, you need to know what it says so you can talk to them when they're hearing these things or twisting things, okay? Now, for people who don't believe in the Bible, the tactic is to, to point out the statistics because people think science is an authority and it is on some things, right? It's not, it's not the authority, but it is good for some things. And my non-Christian friends who could care less about the Bible don't care about anything we just talked about. <laughs> but when I show them these things, it, it does cause them pause, all right? Homosexuality, the behavior, again, not same-sex attraction, the behavior is dangerous. I want to go through some stats with you. Uh, many people say that homosexuality promotes monogamy. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. I took a group of students up to um, Berkeley, California. Is it Cal State University of California? They, like, swap them. But you know what I'm talking about, that the big university up there. It's, like, one of the most liberal universities in the country. And so I said, we're going to take 70 high school students up there on a mission trip, and we're going to invite atheist professors from from Berkeley to come in and tell my kids why Christianity is stupid, and they shouldn't believe it. And it was awesome. We trained the kids for six months. We went up there. We had these atheist professors come in. We went to a Hare Krishna temple. It was sweet. Uh, And the kids came back thinking, man, Christianity is really legit, because these guys didn't have any good arguments that we couldn't talk through. It was awesome. While we're up there, one of the guys we had come in was a 76-year-old ex-Episcopalian priest who was a practicing homosexual. It was awesome. He, and he was so nice. Like, he was a sweet guy, sweet, older, grandpa-like guy. So he came in and he was talking about why atheism is true and he grew up uh, and lived in the Bay Area through, um, you know, the 60s and and all of the the gay activist movements in the Bay Area, which is kind of a hotbed for it. And so he'd been there. He'd been a part of it. Bay Area Atheist Club, Bay Area Homosexual, all of it. And he said, you know, a lot of Christians will say that you can't be a monogamist and a homosexual. And that's just clearly not true. I know many of my friends are and I am. And we said, oh, that's interesting. And one of the girls, I remember asked him, when you were talking about your partner, you talked about him in past tense. When did he die? And he said, oh, he didn't, he's not dead. He's still alive. We were, we were together for 25 years. And she's like, well, but you're not together now? And he's like, no, we didn't see things clearly. And we wanted to see other people. And she said, so not monogamy. <laughs> right? It's not monogamy, Right. And so that's the thing, we got to clear some definitions up here because when people say you can be monogamous and homosexual, um, from, from the statistics, they're not monogamous in the sense that they're only having sex with the person they're committed to. Many people say, well, no, I live with them and we do have sex together, but we also have an open relationship and we, we have sex with many people outside. Well that's not monogamy, Just because that's a roommate, do you know what I mean? So we, we do need to clear our definitions with people because the stats do not show that it promotes monogamy. I want to share these with you. According to studies done in Scandinavia, which is very gay-affirming and has been for a long time, same-sex male relationships break up at twice the rate of heterosexual couples, which heterosexual couples are not doing a good job either, right? That's a poor statistic because we're we're not doing a good job. Homosexual men break up at twice the rate as the heterosexual population. Lesbian couples break up at a rate more than twice that of the homosexual male relationships. This blew my mind. Because you think girls are way better at relationships. Women are. They are. It's true. And so you look at this and you say, this doesn't make sense statistically. Why is that the case? And this is what the study said. And these are not my words. These are their words. They said that lesbian relationships are very unstable because women are more relationally intense think about this this is true and this is how god made it women are more relationally intense women are more hey we need to talk about this hey we need to work on us hey we need to share our emotions and guys our natural thing is to go. let's just blow it off it doesn't matter like take it easy right And women need to be tempered by a guy and say, hey, it's not, let's calm down a little. But the guy needs to be pulled in to actually talk about things. It's almost like it was designed for these two to go together because together it works out better. That's what the statistics are showing. Lesbian relationships break up a lot. In most homosexual relationships, men aren't monogamous. Women aren't monogamous, and, and there isn't a, uh, a long-lasting relationship there. And that's sad, because people are seeking out someone to love them. One time I heard a guy on a podcast, he called in to this guy who was talking about homosexuality. He said, I lived a homosexual lifestyle for like 25 years, and I got old, and I realized nobody I'd ever been with actually loved me. They only loved what I could do for them. They only loved my body. They only loved the pleasure I'd bring them. And when I got old and unattractive and undesirable, I was cast aside and I'm like a pariah in the homosexual community. And I I realized I was seeking for someone to love me and the people that I thought did, none of them did. They just used me. And then he said, so I, I sought to find any man who would ever love me and I found Jesus loves me. And he doesn't love me because of what I do for him. He does everything for me. So awesome, but that is the sad story of this. People are seeking love and, and it's not found here statistically. Disease, this is the one we're most, most common, uh, common, not common with, what do I wanna say? We're most uh, aware of, yeah. I'm not gonna read the whole um, quote because there's a lot of diseases mentioned and some of them are um, not good to say. But what I wanna point out is that there was this document signed by doctors from different disciplines, family medicine, dermatology, neurology, and they warned that uh, homosexual sex, as practiced by most gay men, has a large number of diseases associated with it. And this is the part I wanted to, to bring to your attention. Many of which are rare or even unknown in the heterosexual population. Now, there's a lot of diseases in the heterosexual population. But there are a lot that aren't that are only in the homosexual so let's throw the bible out let's say we're not talking about christianity here we're just saying what is it about this behavior that is harmful to people that are practicing it does that make sense it's like what's harmful about a guy eating it in and out 17 times a day right there's a heart thing that happens and cholesterol right it's it's there's a correlation between your behavior and, and disease. What is it about this lifestyle that is bringing about diseases that don't even exist in the alternative behavior? Does that make sense? This is, this is a question that needs to be answered. These aren't Christian statistics. Depression. Homosexuals are about 50% more likely to suffer uh, from depression and to suffer uh, from uh, substance abuse uh, than the rest of the population. And the rest of the population is not good at this, right? 50% more likely to suffer from depression and to engage in substance abuse. Death, this is, this is so sad. This should break our hearts because we want to love people. Homosexuals in the US and Denmark, the latter of which is acknowledged to be very tolerant of homosexuality and has been for a long time, both die on average in their early 50s. And this is the the sad. It was crazy to me. Or in their 40s, if AIDS is the cause. Wait, time out. In, if they're dying of AIDS in their 40s, what are they dying of in their 50s? Does that make sense? If AIDS is the cause earlier on, why aren't they living until their 80s? Do you see that? What, what is happening with this, people who, who engage in this behavior to kill them so early? The average age for all residents in the United States and in Denmark uh, is mid to upper 70s but not for the homosexual male population. What is it about this behavior that isn't uh, being pushed by culture necessarily, because in Denmark it's accepted, it's not that culture's suppressing them. It's the same in both places. What is it about this behavior that brings about such a quick death? Lack of lasting relationships. 78%. <laughs> of male homosexual affairs relationships entered into with an intent of commitment last less than three years. Only 12% last five years or longer. They're looking for someone to love them and this, this isn't the way to go about that because it doesn't work. These relationships don't last. Psychological health. In a national health survey, uh, 75% of the nearly 2,000 lesbian respondents reported that they had pursued psychological counseling of some kind, many for treatment of long-term depression or sadness. 75% admitted that they'd sought out treatment. That's a, that's a big, that's alarming. What is it about this population that, is, that needs to seek out psychological counseling of some kind? Domestic violence. The incidence of domestic violence among homosexuals, uh, among gay men, is nearly double that in the heterosexual population. And the heterosexual population is not good at it, right? So you go, wait a second, twice as likely? But this makes sense as well. Uh, guys, when you were in elementary school and you were on the playground and some kid was being a jerk to you, how did you handle it? You hit them, you shoved them, right? That's how guys deal with things. It's like this thing we have. But not all guys. But most guys have this thing where, well, but I can't hit a girl. There's, there is like this limiter, this governor, where most guys are like, well, of course, you can't, but you can't do that. That's not fair that you, you can't do that. When you have two men in a relationship together, that isn't there. That, that, that limit isn't there, and domestic violence is twice as likely to happen in a homosexual male relationship as it is in the heterosexual population. Substance abuse. <clears throat> lesbians are three times more likely to abuse alcohol and to suffer from other compulsive behaviors than the heterosexual population. Three times. And I think you've probably observed this. With lesbians, you know. Um, it's a very common thing to see them abuse substances. It is. Um, the, the ones I know, that is, that is common. Whether it's, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, it's a common theme that, that I've seen in, in my own experience. A couple more suicide. Homosexual men are six times more likely to have attempted suicide than are heterosexual men. Six times. And obviously the heterosexual community is is not doing good at this either. We're hearing about suicides all the time. Six times, what is it about this behavior that is leading people into these destructive things? We're not talking theology. We're talking statistics. Do you you see this? What's the problem with this? This one breaks my heart. Lifespan. Lifespan. The life expectancy for gay and bisexual men in America is 8 to 20 years less than for heterosexual men in general, okay? That's, that's if you put together bisexual and homosexual. If you take bisexual out of that equation, the lifespan of a homosexual man in America is on average 24 years shorter than that of a heterosexual I did some research. <clears throat> um, all, all over the place where I go, there is, um, yeah, there's like billboards for this many deaths from smoking this year. Have you seen those, right? On every, I've traveled around the world doing missions work and on every pack of cigarettes uh, in, in other countries, not here we don't do it, but they like put pictures of lung cancer. Have you seen that? Or like deformities or somebody who had their, have their jaw cut out. They put these like really grotesque pictures on cigarettes saying, look what's going to happen to you. Don't do this. They're trying to deter people because cigarettes are bad for human beings. It's a behavior that's destructive for us. And it doesn't matter if you're in America or if you're in Denmark or if you're in Australia. It's not a healthy thing for human beings to suck smoke into their lungs. And you all know this, right? Okay, it's not a respecter of culture. I did some research on how fast chain smoking kills you. Women who chain smoke, so from the time they're 18 till death, they smoke two packs a day. Women who chain-smoke have a life expectancy of 11 years less than women who don't. Men who chain-smoke have a life expectancy of 12 years less than men who don't. Meaning homosexuality is twice as deadly as being a chain-smoker. And yet our culture is applauding people into it and encouraging them to die fast. I don't want to be somebody who encourages people to an early grave. I want to be somebody who loves them, stands for life here, and eternal life with God. But our culture is a culture of death. And we're telling people, do whatever you feel, do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter what the consequences are, but it does matter what the consequences are. Because you don't want to have a life here of suffering, of not being loved, of substance abuse, of depression, of a, of a life expectancy that's twice as much as a chain smoker. And you don't want to have an eternal life separated from God. And sin brings death. Sin brings death. <sighs> Homosexuality is also a danger uh, to children. Um, this is from Michelle Credela. She's the president of the American college of pediatricians when the supreme court ruled in favor of gay marriage this was the statement she made Uh, she said this is a tragic day for america's children the supreme court has just undermined the single greatest pro-child institution in the history of mankind the natural family just as it did in the joint roe v wade and dovey bolton decisions the supreme court has elevated and enshrined the wants of adults over the needs of children Homosexual marriage always denies a child of either their mother or their father, at least, but sometimes both. But they always aren't living with their biological mom or dad. And the statistics are clear on this, that that is the healthiest place for kids to grow up. It's with their biological mom and their biological dad. I have a quote from a guy uh, who was raised by two moms, and he loves his two moms, and he's in a good relationship with his two moms, but he wanted to explain what his upbringing was like he said, "Well, I do not believe all gays would be de facto bad parents, I know that the gay community has never in my lifetime put children first as anything other than a piece of property, a past mistake, or a political tool to be dressed up and taken out as part of a dog and pony show to impress the well-meaning. And this is a guy who's okay, he's in a good relationship with his moms. And he said, I didn't feel loved, I felt like I was, I was a, a tool, a, a pawn. Not that they were there for me, but I was there for them. I was there to give them credence for what they were doing. Homosexuality is destructive and it's not only destructive because the Bible says it, it's destructive scientifically and statistically when we look at it. But maybe God told us to avoid it because it destroys us. God wants our best. God created pleasure. You know that, right? Uh, You know the demons have never created any pleasures. They can't, right? They They can take them and they can twist them and they can harm us through them They they can trick us through them, but they don't create pleasure. God created pleasure, and he's told us the best way to experience sexual pleasure. And it's in a committed, monogamous relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. And anything outside of that is harmful to us. It is. And and the statistics show that. Now, I want to end uh, this this section with a couple of responses to common objections, because you will hear these a lot. Oh, no. There it is. Have you heard this before? Homosexuals are born that way. You heard Lady Gaga? Any Gaga fans in here? You guys up front? No? Okay, that's all right. (laughs) Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. This is all right. It's okay. I don't really like it either. Um, So she talks about born this way, right? born this way, and, and the emphasis here, the, the, the assumption behind it is that people can't do anything about the way that they are, right? Therefore, if people have homosexual desires, we should let them exhibit and practice their, their homosexuality. My response to this is, what about all of the ex-gays? Because you know there are a lot of ex-gay people, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, who have practiced homosexuality and now don't. Uh, I was born with blue eyes. There's nothing I can do to get out of that. I can cover them up, right? I could probably have some weird surgery done to to put ink in my eye. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you can do that yet. But I was born with blue eyes, and I can't get out of that. I was born Caucasian, and I'm stuck with it, right? That's who I am. There's nothing I can do to become ex-Caucasian or ex-blue-eyed, why are there so many ex-gay people? If you were born that way, like I was born with blue eyes, you can't get out of that. Does that make sense? So it's not, the same, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. The fact that there are so many ex-gay people proves that it's not in the same category with how we've been born. One of the things that really angers me is how... The, the, the people are, are trying to equate the LGBT community equality with the civil rights equality. And this is, this is what's going on here. There, it's, a, it's an argument from pity or, well, of course, slavery was wrong and, un, and people's skin color being segregated, wrong. We all agree with that. The Bible agrees with that. But they're trying to piggyback on that and say, yeah, we're the same as that which makes you go, oh, man, like, I'm, I'm for that, but I'm not for this. How does that work? Here's how it works. Skin color is not a behavior. Homosexuality is only a behavior. Do you see the difference? You can't control the, the skin you're born with, and the skin you're born with doesn't destine you for any type of behavior. It's just how you look. It's your heredity. It's who you are. It's a great thing homosexuality is a behavior remember it's not same-sex attraction that's desires homosexuality is a behavior what god says in the bible is don't do that action like don't murder or don't give your kids as sacrifices it's a behavior skin color is not a behavior the civil rights movement and and the lgbt movement they're not the same thing they're not but they're trying to piggyback off of that Also, if we take this argument to its logical conclusion, I was born this way, therefore I should be able to exhibit it, wouldn't that allow for pedophilia, polygamists, liars, thieves, basically anything? You could just say, I was born, and you were. You you were born a jerk. You were, (laughs) right? (laughs) We call it depravity. It's there. (laughs) So whatever desire you have, should you just be able to exhibit it? No, of course not, right? What if somebody who opposed homosexuality, why doesn't this argument apply to them? Why can't they, I was born to oppose homosexuality? Well, no, that's not the same thing. Do you see, it's a bad argument, and, and we shouldn't argue this way. What, it's basically whatever I say I want to do and how I was born, you should let me do. No, that, that's, that's not good. Another, another common objection, being homosexual is not a choice this one is tricky because the proper response to this is yes it is and no it isn't it really is yes and no and this is where we need to understand the difference between having a desire and acting on a desire right same-sex attraction doesn't mean you have to practice homosexuality just like a heterosexual attraction doesn't mean you have to be an adulterer does that make sense Adultery is a prohibition for heterosexual people. Fornication is a prohibition for, a homo- for heterosexual people. Because you have a desire for the opposite sex doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Does that make sense? However, we do have desires, don't we? And who knows where they came from? And people have tried for years to say, well, it comes from they had a bad dad or the environment they grew up in or they weren't good at sports. or you know, There's all of these theories. Who knows where they come from? But we all have bad desires, right? It's called sin. But just because we have a bad desire doesn't mean that we should act on our desire. Every day of your life, I got a little hug myself, every day of your life you suppress desires. If you didn't, you would be dead by now, Right? Somebody would have shot you for what you did to their daughter in junior high. You would right, you would have been locked up because anger we if we if we do whatever we feel we'd all be dead. That is called anarchy when you do whatever desire you have, right? We have to control ourselves, self-control. Like I said earlier, we stop at red lights. What is it called when everybody just gives in to their desire? Anarchy. What is it called when we control our desires? The word for it is civilization. We can't just give in to whatever desire we have because we have it. The fact that a desire exists does not mean that it must be acted upon. And you're living proof of that because every day you don't act on every desire you have. Does that make sense? The desire's there, yes, but that doesn't mean the behavior has to follow. You can choose not to. There's this thing called the will that human beings have in their soul. The last one, I've heard this, what's wrong with two men who love each other? Nothing. You believe that. You don't believe there's anything wrong with two men loving each other. But the question we've got to ask is, well, how are we defining love, right? What do you mean by love? If you mean two men who are committed to each other and who care for each other, that's great. You have David and Jonathan in scripture, Right? You have friendship. You see men loving each other, women loving each other all throughout the Bible. You have good friends. I have a good friend. My friend Greg, I've known him since I was five. Every Friday we play basketball. We go to Starbucks. We are accountability partners. We read through books. We talk about life. I've known him for 30, 31 years now. I love him. He's, he's closer than my brother, right? I mean, he's, he's, I'd die for that guy. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding, right? I mean, All of this. I love Greg. But if you mean We've sexualized our relationship. No. And this is something that our culture is really messed up on, right? Why do people believe that you have to have sex with somebody in order to love them? It's a bizarre, it's bizarre. Most of the the, the most meaningful relationships you'll have in your life are gonna be primarily with people you don't have sex with. Do you know that? It's true. The best friends you have, the family relationships that you have, there's one that you're going to have a sexual relationship with, but the intimate relationships you have outside of that, you're not. You don't have to sexualize your relationship in order to love people. So there's nothing wrong with men loving each other, but sexualizing your relationship, that's a different thing. That's a behavior that's bad scientifically. It's a behavior that God tells us isn't good for human beings to exhibit. So this is, this is kind of my, you know, how long has it been? It's probably felt like longer to you. <laughs> but this is, this is how I approach it. With Christians, we've got to talk about what does Scripture say and be clear. With non-Christians who don't care about the Bible, what authority do they care about? Science is a big deal to them. Well, let's go look at statistics and see what it says. But we have to have the attitude of love with both. Because Jesus told us to love our neighbor, Right? Love our neighbor and he and then some smart Alex said, Well who's my neighbor? Remember? Because that's what we all think. Well what does that exactly mean? Is it the people I like? Is it that guy across the street? Because that guy's a tool? What does this mean? <laughs> right? And then he tells us the Good Samaritan story. He says, the people you racially hate that live over there? Yeah. Like that. Oh, that's tough. Who who's the demographic of people you struggle with loving, right? Is it the Muslim terrorist? Is it the LGBT community? Is it that guy at church that just frustrates you to no end? Who is it? Because that's the person Jesus called us to love. This is what we're to do. This is Christianity. Everybody loves their friends. It's easy to do. But loving people that are hard to love, that takes, that takes more love than I've got. And that's why Jesus living in me has to take over and, and do it. I was doing a talk like this last summer at a church in the North Valley. And there was a mom there. And she was broken and, and she was sad. And her daughter is living a lesbian lifestyle. And it really hurt her because... <laughs> She said, what did I do wrong? How, you know? So she stood up in the Q&A time. She was crying. <clears throat> and she said, I just want to say one thing. As Christians, we need to do a much better job at being like the LGBT community because they are loving and accepting and we're judgmental and condemning. You know, and just, she's saying that she's crying. And, and I was like, okay, well, thanks for sharing. She sat, sat down. And I, I'm driving home and I thought about it. I said, she was so, She was wrong. Like emotional, but wrong. The LGBTQ community is great at loving people who agree with them. We're great at that. That takes nothing. We're called to love people that we disagree with. That takes Jesus. That's big. That's hard to do, but it's what we've been called to. And if Jesus Christ lives in us, we have the ability to go out and do this well, and we can